sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. And welcome, folks, to Business Eye. Again, as I say every week, it's Friday. Yay, Friday. It's, uh, I just discovered the other day that we've had, in the last two weeks, we've had two days of sunshine and the rest of the time it's been raining. And I've even had the heat on. Uh, and then I found out the rest of the country is beautiful. And people are telling me, oh, isn't the weather wonderful? And I'm going, I, there must be something going on. that I, I must have a grey cloud over me. Simon, how are you? How's your week been? It's good, yeah. And I think it's the rest of the country getting its own back on the East Coast for making decisions for the rest of the country. I think that's yeah. what's going on. Um, no, good. And uh, just busy and moving house and, and uh, you know, watching what's going on around the world and, and trying to form some views about what I'm seeing and feeling about it all. So interesting times. It is crazy, isn't it? You're you're looking at what's going on here. You're looking at what's going on in England with Brexit, Europe, the States and, and the world. And as you said to me before, at the moment, anything is possible. Anything is possible. It's it's so crazy. And lockdown is ending for a lot of places. I've seen in an article yesterday now that, you know, guest houses and hotels can serve food inside, but gastro pubs and restaurants have to serve food outside. Yeah. And I'm kind of going, what? Who's it? Does someone actually stick up their finger and lick it and, and point it up to the wind to to make that decision? So, you know, there there is, thank God there's a lot of more people asking questions. Thank God there's more people inquiring and trying to get answers to what's really going on and by people doing that more people then will discover that as i said before there's a bit of show going on so that's (laughs) (laughs) that's my that's my right thoughts on it so this week is important we have we have two guests uh, on this week um, one of the guests, I'll just call her Wendy. She is a, uh, a teacher in, in Ireland. And Wendy uh, posted a video up in Concerned Parents about the literature that has been advised uh, to be taught in her secondary schools. And what sparked my interest on this was the relation between what's been taught in her schools and in business. Simon, and our second guest, who would you say our second guest is? So we have somebody we spoke to recently, somebody you and I know really well, Teresa Hand Campbell. And Teresa has a background in education. She's now seen many lights. I wasn't going to say seen the light, but seen many lights. And, and she's specializing now in, you know, using education to drive business to reach full potential. So I guess that kind of segues into what you were saying, yeah, Joe. Yeah. But you know, what happens at school doesn't stay at school. It, it goes, it filters out into every aspect of our life. And so, what happens at school, we need to take seriously, very seriously. And and here it is as well. Okay, in business, you and me know that if we are running a team within business and we give them a project, we then hand over the project. There is the team there. They're developing, growing, working on it, so getting ready for execution. As CEOs, as C-suite managers, as executives, we'll keep on checking to see how that project is going on because 
if it goes the wrong way, it can affect the company as a whole. So we're, we're you know, we, we as leaders, we look at this and we check in all the time. But what I've realized is as parents, we have handed our children into schools, into an education system, and we have gone, I trust you. That's grand. Let you get on with it. And I'm just going to continue on with my life instead of saying, hold on, what's going on within the system and checking to see are our children being educated appropriately for the future? Is that a good analogy, Simon? Uh, yes, it is. And and for me, my my concern about what we're going to discuss is that for me, communication is the outward manifestation of awareness, and it's also a frame for the identity of, of young people, for all of us. And, you know, I remember some of the conversations. I remember I remember saying something as a kid in a car with my parents, and I meant to say something, but I said something else. And to this day, I always remember feeling embarrassed, right? So the language that's used in childhood is so influential. So, you know, so I'm interested in this conversation from the perspective of, what is language potentially doing to our young people? Words have power. Words have power. We know that children, you know, I've teenagers and I've spoke to some people with who, who have kids as well before this show. And I've asked them, says, look, everyone knows that children are, are not children. Everyone knows that our teenagers are looking at pornographic. You know, they know that they're talking about it, you know in the right mind that this stuff they said that is being produced for on the education system, but no teacher would actually use this, you know, in the classroom. But I said to him, that's not the point. It's the point that it's even been proposed, which is my concern. So Wendy, myself and Simon, um, you've heard us there uh, chat. Uh, what was the red flag for you? Um, and let's find out where, where you, where this all came from. And then we'll bring in Teresa. Okay, thanks, Joe. Well, basically in January 2020, the schools I was working in at the time, teaching English, and English teachers there in the English department, they all chose their own books um, from the prescribed list which the NCCA has produced, but they didn't all choose the same books as each other. So I was given free reign to go to the list and choose what, what texts I was happy with from that list. So a lot of the um, new newer material on the list was new to me. So I, you know, I went through it all with the fine tooth comb and I discovered my horror that much of it 90 95% of it is quite objectionable and contains material that I would not be happy to teach in the classroom and this is um we're talking about the prescribed lists which the NCCA the National Council of Curriculum and Assessment have produced and you know teachers are obliged to choose the material the main texts that they teach from those prescribed lists okay and what was your after your shock and horror when you spoke to other teachers uh, around the country on this, what was their thoughts or their opinion? Yeah, well, a lot of teachers are not happy about it. Um, now, there are still, you know, a few texts left, which are fine. Um, and so, you know, teachers who would not feel happy teaching explicitly sexual and violent and graphic material and horror material, etc. They are choosing the safer texts left on the tech on the lists. But because there are so few decent texts left, you know, they are in the in the unenviable position of having to choose material from from stuff that they're not comfortable teaching. And um, so a lot of them are are 
you know, they, they feel what choice do they have? It's prescribed this because I've also worked as an examiner for the SEC and um, students are penalised if they, if they answer on texts which are not on the prescribed lists. So the teachers have to, you know, they have an onus on them to teach from the lists. Can I, can I ask a really dumb question? Because I don't really know anything about the education sector. I don't know that curriculum body you mentioned. So I know nothing about this. Does that curriculum body know that this is happening? Well, absolutely. And so we're talking about the NCCA is the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment, and it's a statutory body, a council that advises the Minister for Education and Skills in Ireland on curriculum content, what is actually taught in the classroom in each subject. So, um, and that's led by, um, you know, a chief executive officer, a principal officer for curriculum assessment, and in this case, an education officer for English. So the names are all there. They're all up there on the NCCA website, who these people are. Um, and they make up these prescribed lists for junior level and senior level. And um, it's all the novels, plays and films, which the teachers have to choose. That's what we're talking about. Exam so they, they, in answer to your question, Simon, they absolutely know what they've chosen because they chose it and put it on there. These are academics and teachers and you know, presumably some of them must be parents. So it's quite shocking that they've chosen to use sexually gratuitously violent material and graphic, graphically described material. Before, what would the, what would you, what would the example be of some of the literature that has been um, introduced into the schools? Okay, right. Well, it, it basically began in 2014. They started then introducing books like John the Book of Lost Things, and Dan Shen's book, Cirque du Freak. Um, and it's just been getting gradually uh, darker and darker and more explicit as we've gone on since 2014. And particularly in 2018, I mean, some of the editions there were quite shocking. So we're talking about, um, would you like me to describe specific please, books? Please, Okay, um, right. There's one book that's senior level. It's called The Lawrence by Sarah Taylor. And there is an oral sex scene in this book, which spans five to six pages. It's extremely detailed and um, descriptive. And it's between an older man and a young teenage girl in a car. And that book also has scenes with strip clubs and drag queens and prostitutes and, um, you know, other sexual scenes. And there are five or six references to or scenes of masturbation in that book as well. It's all very graphic, you know. Um, it's uh, Then we have Louis Sakar's book, The Boy Who Lost His Face, which is put on the list for junior level. That has teenage boys looking at photos of girls as young as nine and describing that they're getting a kick out of it. And that book was previously banned from school libraries and public libraries in the USA and, and Britain before. Um, then you've got uh, John Conley's Book of Lost Things, which I mentioned. That has scenes of torture and violence. Um, it has scenes where an adult female, total, a totally naked adult, adult female, chains a young boy to a bloodied table with manacles and leather restraints. And she exposes herself to him and she kisses him on the lips and she's completely naked. And she later persuades him to sever her in half. There's lots of torture. There's... Um, you know, bodies with heads cut off them hanging up around the room and there are torture implements in the room. Um, and in that book also, um, there's um, bestiality is referred to. There's a line, it says, women go to lie willingly with wolves. And there's also a scene where um, a naked man and a naked woman are in a bed and a crooked man brings little children into the bed with the, you know, to get into the bed with the, the male and the female. And then there's a line, um, I can't quote it exactly, it's something like, um, you know, that they whisper to the child 
things that adults do in, in the dead of night, which children should not know about, something like that. It's very, it's totally inappropriate. And I can I can give you more examples. Yeah, no, I, I think we get the gist um, of, of what's there. And, you know, a couple of things. Our, our kids that we know at the moment, they're seeing this sort of stuff on TV. They're seeing this stuff in on, on movies and they're watching this stuff on the internet. And is it a question of, we know that, this is happening in life and and there there is a, a gray line that you need to cross or not cross i should say um is it also helping is is it helping also to have discussions in the classroom about this stuff to say that no you know this is this is not the route that you should go or is this should be taught to kids in later in sixth year or later on in 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 sec, in third level education school as well but that's that's a, 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 something that's sort of sparking up. But it's it, it is a bit messed up, though. It is a bit messed up on it. What what about? I'm always and my my ask Teresa here at this point. So I'm always interested. What's the intent of people, right? So what what could be an example of the intent of the curriculum? Curriculum NCCA. I think you mentioned. What would there be intent? In, in in allowing this stuff to go out what's what what could be a feasible intent for doing this Therese what do you think it's beyond me really um I, I always say that the the teacher in the modern day classroom is competing with the the screen to keep the child engaged you know in terms of of a uh, uh, color and creativity and trying to, to keep them engaged but it, it struck me there as Wendy spoke my god and uh, does the NCCA feel that it has got to compete with uh, what's what's coming in to the children's lives via other mediums like the, the smartphone, etc.? But uh, it brings me to the point that uh, parents must keep a handle on exactly what their children are being exposed to. And the whole thing of the old fashioned saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world it needs to be brought back into the home and the parents need to remain alert. It's the most, the most, uh, I suppose, onerous task you'll ever undertake in life is to rear your children and to set them up for the world they're going into. But uh, I do believe that all of that has gone too far now. And uh, if that sort of material is given to children, as part of a, a, an approved curriculum, it's questions nearly the normalization of this as, as, as an approach to education. I wonder, has similar material gone up in the UK or in other nations across Europe? I don't know. But certainly children learn, remodel, they pick up from what they see and what they see as approval. And if this sort of material goes on to a curriculum, is approved, children get the message, well, this seems to be okay. So it's the wrong message. Hmm? Good point. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what, if you know, if, if a question were asked at the NCCA, I wonder what they would say. I, I, Wendy, have you any idea what they might, how they might respond to this? 
I am quite fascinated as to see what how on earth they are going to respond because I don't see how it's good justified. You know, in this modern age, we talk about feminism and whatnot, and yet a lot of these texts are extremely misogynistic and are portraying and promoting. Um, that's the problem with the texts. None of them are saying this stuff is bad. They're all in the promotion mode, you know. They are promoting um, violent sexual torture of women. I mean, this one there, um, one uh, it's a very popular choice at senior level in many schools, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. And I would like permission to quote from it. It's very bad. And I'm just warning listeners. Um, but I think you need to know what your children are reading because two parents uh, a couple of weeks ago found out their teenage boys were reading this book and had been for the last two years in school. And one mother just cried on the phone to me and the other mother, mother went into the school the next morning in a rage. So this is what this is one of the um, paragraphs from the, from the book, um, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. So I'm quoting here. Sometimes the movie she showed would be an old porno film from the 70s or 80s. Women kneeling, sucking penises or guns. Women tied up or chained or with dog collars around their necks. Women hanging from trees or upside down, naked with their legs held apart. Women being raped, beaten up, killed. Once we had to watch a woman being slowly cut into pieces, her fingers and breasts snipped off with garden shears, her stomach slit open and her intestines pulled out. Phrases like getting laid on all fours, spread your legs and the guards getting hard, looking at her and much, much more. So that's what we're talking about. And, you know, boys are reading this in the classroom. The girls are humiliated and embarrassed and the boys are, what are they meant to think? You know, when you think back to cases like the Anna Kriegel case where two young teenage boys, you know, tortured that girl and raped her and, you know, um, and just even whatever last week or the week before we had that young girl the 14-year-old Svetlana Murphy went missing and the, the correctly so the nationwide hunt that went on to find that, that girl and bring her back safely, you know. Um, why are we showing stuff like this in the classroom, you know, to, to teenage boys? I mean, Paul Reynolds, the RTE um, crime investigator there the other week, he, he was saying that one-fifth of crimes, um, you know, sexual uh, violent crimes are committed. Um, children are the victims and offenders, according to the new figures re released by the Central Statistics Office, one-fifth. And then um, he also said that um, one in five of those crimes is committed by a boy under the age of 18. But here in the classroom, the English classroom, we are now giving them tools. I mean, it's beggar's belief. One of the movies in the classroom that they're studying and one of the novels, they're both about serial killers on the loose. And one of the books for junior level, it's really shocking. Um, it describes basically how a serial killer goes around the streets of London picking up homeless boys. He brings them back to his flat, kills them, dismembers them, and then he describes in detail what to do with the body. He gives different methods of how to get rid of it, acid baths, dismemberment, et cetera, et cetera. It's really totally graphic and inappropriate. But if we're going to feed this stuff to the children and the teacher, if I as a teacher, I'm standing up there at the front of the classroom promoting this stuff, I'm, I could say that I this is not good you shouldn't do this but I'm still promoting it by having that text on the curriculum in the first place and as an English teacher most of these modern texts are not even good literary quality that angers me as well but that's another subject but what we're talking about here from a parental viewpoint is these texts are inappropriate and you know I think Teresa made the point things that you read and see when you're a teenager it, it, it profoundly affects you we, I, we all remember the novels that we studied at school and um, they should be good quality novels and plays and films not not this kind of stuff i don't know. i don't even know what to say <laughs> i had no idea this was happening and 
I mean, would the Minister for Education even know this is happening? Well, she does now. She's been informed. I sent my report to her. I, I, I spent nine months writing a very detailed statistical analytical report of all the material on both the junior cycle and the senior cycle um, curriculum. And I sent the report to her on the 19th of April, but she has not responded. Her office just sends back a one line email every few days, but they're not they haven't responded. Um, so. It's one of the there's two things that's coming from this. One is it's normalizing this sort of behavior as well. And it's we've spoken many a times about creativity and, you know, the, the mind. And this is the wrong part of creativity that's been that you know, it's been it's been given to our children. And the other part of it is it's a wake up call. And I think, you know, it's a wake up call for 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 me, a parent. And for, you know, other parents out there as well who have children within primary and secondary school to kind of go, hang on, have we taken the eye off the ball here? And it is absolutely shocking that an education system, and as you said, up in up in the 80s or 90s has this sort of literature. And for a a, a committee like I'm gathering the people who are picking these books are going, oh, yeah, and they're not even analyzing them. It's just, oh, yeah, we put, take that book, take this book, because someone else suggested, read the, probably read the back cover of it and didn't go through it in great detail. Teresa, what's your thoughts on it? I'm, I'm a bit flabbergasted at the moment. And, you know. I think as a, as a species, as a society here, we've, we've somewhat lost our moral compass. We've, we've taken our eye off the ball totally. And uh, life has become very, very busy. And people have become quite passive. People have stopped asking questions. And if you have a very busy home where both parents are working, they're coming in late in the evening and tired, etc. And uh, they, there's a mishmash of things going on in the home that serves to occlude where the real attention should be given, you know, um, such as life these days. In order to pay a mortgage, two people have to work. In order to pay the childminder, so it's a vicious circle, you know, but it brings me right back to this thing of keeping your eye on the ball and the most serious work you'll ever undertake is that of rearing your children and preparing them for the world out there and cautioning them as to what to look out for. But if this sort of stuff is put in front of them, it's in inadvertently, it's normalized and it will be worked out as they grow older. You know, I, I have a theory and might be a very old fashioned and unpopular theory. If our government made it attractive for um, if they if they talked up the beauty of the family and the importance of the family and made it attractive for um, the mother to be at home at the critical stage in rearing the children, etc., or making uh, different facilities available through work, etc., that they're more available to that core thing of rearing the children, then it will clean up our streets very quickly. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. You know, it's that's that's it's it's interesting because I can feel anger in my gut here. Like like we, the taxpayer, pays ministers. We pay their salary. We pay the salary of people who are in councils like the one you mentioned. Like they wouldn't exist 
without the people paying their salaries. They are not distinct or separate. Right? They are beholden to the people of the country. And, you know, and so I guess my question to, you know, the Minister for Education is, um, if this doesn't stop, how does she justify it, given that she's being paid by the people of the country? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would like to, can I just make the point there, Joe, just one point that, you know, Minister Norma Foley came in on all of this. It had had already all been there before she came to office. And all the names of the people responsible are there in the public domain. Now, look, the NCCA, they might take them down, but I printed off all the lists. I have all the names of the people who did choose these books, you know, the CEO. I can, you know, it's all there in the public domain, but um, it was before Minister Foley's time. But I guess she is going to have to make a public statement about it or explain to us how they're going to justify it. But has anyone even got in touch with the CEO, the CEO um, or anyone else in the organisation and and, and asked them for an explanation? Well, I'd say that's going to be the next step now. I guess um, because they they obviously deemed fit for the last six years at this stage, particularly the last four years, to, to have the stuff on the prescribed lists, you know, they obviously think it's okay. That there isn't a problem, so they're not the right people to to um, appeal to. But now they need to be um, they need to answer for what they've done. Really, what has been the what is what have what has been the outcome from when you're speaking to parents on this across the country? I know you've done multiple radio shows and you've done a lot of interviews as well. What's the feedback from parents? Well, they feel they feel betrayed um, by the council because, like you said, parents have been very trusting of the council. Um, you don't expect teachers and you know academics to to put this stuff on the curriculum. Um, so yeah, they feel betrayed. They feel angry, um, outraged, shocked, um, distressed. Yeah, I think yeah, I, it's it's, it's you know, it, again like Simon. I'll go back to the to what I said in the beginning of the show. You know, and what Teresa says, you know, we're all working, we're, we're working, you know, both parents are out trying to bring in an income and we've given the trust of uh, our education system to bring our children up. That's what it is. And like in a company, if you have people that you're doing and they're working on a project, you're checked in. We haven't checked in. We haven't. That's And anyone listening to this as well, they have to agree that they haven't checked in we have just gone okay there you go and we'll take our children back and thank you we'll pay our 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 monthly fee or our yearly fee if it's if it's public or private school and that's it thank you and we have i think we have failed we have failed 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 as adults of what our children are expressing and learning in this world I, I thought the purpose of education was to give the young people the best possible chance in life, the best opportunities, the best outlook on life. So I, I just can't, I mean, how does this sit? I mean, Teresa, how, you, you can't justify this, can you? No, you, you? It's just totally unjustifiable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's working at cross purposes to what the real world, the real interpretation of education should be the enlightening of the mind, the holistic education of the child. It runs that sort of material runs across purposes to any well-being program. Yeah. It runs across purposes to a, a the, 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 the you know the 
different aspects of the a there are different programs run, particularly in, in even the junior cycle, the key skills that you seek to promote a junior cycle. All of this runs at, at cross purposes to it. What, what about the counter? What, what, sorry, what about the counter argument? I think Joe, you said at the beginning was that, I mean, or maybe you did, Teresa, was that you know if the, the education system doesn't teach this stuff, then the, the, the kids are going to pick the stuff anyway. It, is there any justification from that angle? When no. They- no, I don't think so. Um, you know, when, when we want to teach our children about sexual matters, there are much more positive ways to do that, you know, with much more positive material. Um, we don't want to teach boys that it's okay to sexually torture a girl. Um, we don't want to teach women that they have to um, subject themselves to that kind of demeaning behavior, you know. Um, so, I, yeah. I just kind of, I, I read a book in my early 20s. Um, I read many books, but it's not one book. I I read a book in my early 20s, and that book was about an FBI profiler who was looking at profiling serial killers. In my early 20s, I, after reading that book, I kept, I remember walking down the street and going, oh my God, that person could be a serial killer, or that person could be a serial killer. I remember because of this was a, this was, he was saying how he profiled and how they caught these serial killers. Now, at an age in my 20s, after reading it and walking down the road, my brain was mature to what a 16 or 17 year old was reading. So what is that going? What thoughts is that presenting or imprinting in a child's mind for the future is the question that I, I, I would like answers for. I would really like answers for on it. Well, Joe, in my report, I do, uh, I do. Um, cont- there's a couple of um, reports from psychologists, you know, just excerpts, and one of them was from um, the Child Abuse Review, Volume 18, published in 2009 by John Wiley et al. And he talked about the harms of pornography exposure among children and young people. And just a little quote here: He said, "Exposure to pornography helps to sustain young people's adherence to sexist and unhealthy notions of sex and relationships." And especially among boys and young men who are frequent consumers of pornography, including of more violent materials, consumption intensifies attitudes supportive of sexual coercion and increases their likelihood of perpetrating assault. And he also makes the point that pornography is a poor sex educator. It's an interesting point. Um, yeah, and then another report from Richmond Graduate University, the title was Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity. And uh, just a little quote here, it says, of particular concern is early exposure to graphic sexual material that disrupts normal neurochemical sexual and social development in youth. And of course, they're at great risk of developing a pornography addiction as their brains are still developing. So, you know, what we are fed in our youth affects us, yeah. um, you know, and Influence. when you open when, yeah, when you open up a child, you know, children at, at that stage of their critical development to thinking that all this stuff is normal and perhaps desirable, you're going to awaken, you know, unhealthy desires and feelings in them, you know. Yeah. So, do you know, we, it makes me wonder what are we teaching our children in all our other subjects? Do you know, I thought I had problems with the new, the new way of teaching maths. Um, compared to what I had, how I learned maths growing up was confusing and enough. But when they're producing novels like this, and you know, it mm. it really makes us um, makes us shocked. And Teresa, it's interesting. We did a, a, a show there before, and we we were talking about stuff like this. That you mm. know, 
maybe again what lockdown has done has made us more aware of what's going on because we've been teaching our children from home and mm. kind of going hang on that's good or that's bad and questioning all that so yeah i think it caused some people to sit up and to become aware of their of what they had been missing in terms of getting to know their children etc but also because they had to homeschool them in ways or go online with them and guide them uh, it made them aware of the content of what was being taught as well and i note from some reports from america the rise in homeschooling it's just gone through the roof yeah in america yeah and we, you know? we, we really uh, but the parent is the first educator and the blurring of the lines between the responsibilities of the first educator and the responsibilities of the school is amazing. And I would always argue relationships and sexuality education is a matter for the home. Teachers shouldn't be asked to teach that. I think it's a very private matter. It's something that the parents should teach as they see appropriate and when they see it uh, as being appropriate at a certain stage. But there's a certain thing with the, the children. They will be brought along in a wave. And it's very easy to become an oddity as a child in your group these days. But here's because the if you things. are on school, you're not accepted. But here's the two things which I, I'll ask. What are the principals and the unions saying about this um, to the to the teachers? What what you know, the principal is the guide from the school and then the union protects the teachers. And what are they saying? OK, well, I did contact um, a couple of principals and um, one principal. Um, I, obviously, I'm not going to reveal who it is, but he um, wasn't aware that his English teacher in his department was teaching as some of these objectionable, um, you know, texts. And I mean, one of the films that his teacher was teaching was called Winter's Bone by Deborah Granick. And that has scenes of torture. And there's even a scene where a 17 year old girl cuts off a dead man's hands, her father's hands with a chainsaw. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And it's, it's one of those movies, it's filmed very raw and almost like a documentary. So it's extra horrible to watch the scenes in it, you know, it's shocking. Um, and all, all the material can be viewed on a blog site, actually, if parents are, you know, want to look it up, irishparents.blogspot.com. Every film and movie and novel and play, they've all, they've all been reviewed and they're up there. So parents can see for themselves what we're talking about. But that principal had no idea that his his English department was teaching this year because principals trust their teachers and they should be able to. But And the unions? Well, I don't really know what the unions are thinking about it. I, I don't know. What's the next step with the NCCA? Are we waiting for something or what's what's happening? Well, I suppose I'm I would like to hear a response from the Minister for Education. Um for starters, um, I mean a number of I did I did forward my report to 29 TDs, mostly independents, and two or three of them have contacted me back to say that they've forwarded it on to the Minister for Education as well. Um, I know that Irish parents review English curriculum. Um, they're responsible for the blog spot that I mentioned, irishparents.blogspot.com. They have contacted a number of bodies as well, um, even the teaching council, but but everybody's kind of passing the book. <laughs> so. Well, that's it. Uh, okay. People listening to this show today, what do they need to do 
it's the only way this can change is parents. Yes. You know, when enough parents speak out, then the powers of be get absolutely. And and what do parents need to do? What what guides can you give a parent today that's listened to this and goes, oh my god. I want this okay. to end. Well, if they go to that blogspot, irishparents.blogspot.com, in the introduction on that website, um, there are all the instructions of what you can do. So if you forget what I say now, you can go to that blogspot and look and it will tell you what to do. But basically, um, you can write to the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. Her details are on the blogspot introduction. You can complain to her. There's even a template letter there. You can also write to the CEO of the NCCA, which is now Arlene Forster, not Foster, now Forster, F-O-R-S-T-E-R, Arlene Forster. She is now the CEO, um, pretty recently appointed. Um, it was John Hammond for many years, so I think that should be said because he is actually, he was the CEO when all this was going on. He's got out of it now, just very recently. But um, Arlene Forrester, you can write to her and um, you can um, go to your principal, find, you know, complain to the principal of the school, make sure you know what play, what novels and what movies your child is watching and, and studying this year. Um, sometimes parents aren't aware and it starts there. Find out what your child is doing and then go to the principal. But you can also contact your principal and say, look, we're not happy with the prescribed lists. Um, on the website, you can, on that blog site, you can also check what is on the actual prescribed lists, um, which the NCCA has produced. And you can actually complain about texts, but you're on the list anyway, even if your child isn't doing them because they might be doing them next year or your nephew or niece or whatever might be doing them the year after. So the lists are the problem. They need to be changed. So I, I'm going to ask you just one last question. Now we're, we're going to be wrapping this up Um You've said also you've got some negative feedback from people. What are people, you know, attacking you online for this as well? Yeah, a little bit. People think that we're into censorship, but we're not. There's a big difference here. Censorship is when, you know, you call for things to be banned in general. Oh, they shouldn't appear in books. They shouldn't be on TV. We're not saying that at all. I'm not saying that. And neither is Irish Parents Review English curriculum. They're not saying that either. What we're saying is that we're talking about age appropriate material that is of literary quality in the classroom taught by an English teacher promoting this material. That's what we're talking about. What is age appropriate? A lot of this material is not, I mean, 12 of the texts on the prescribed list were, um, you know, they were actually banned in other countries, Britain and the USA, previously banned texts for, for minors to be reading or watching. Um, so, you know, that speaks for Theresa, itself. Teresa, what do you think? You were bursting to say something before. A dull place, a dull question. It has to be addressed. There is your approach. Yeah. You know, uh, I do think, regardless of the, the, let's say, what you're interpreting as a negative comment that you're into censorship, there should be censorship. There should be. That's where it has all gone wrong. And we shouldn't, let's say, in terms of standards, it would appear that we're competing with a absence of standards on the phone and on the, on, on, on uh, social mediums, and that should never be. With a dull question, must get a reply, Wendy. <laughs> I think it is. I definitely think it is. Wendy, have we left anything out? Have we left anything out? 
Um, well, there's a lot. Well, actually, the sexualization is one aspect, but the other aspect is the dark aspect, you know, the, the murder and suicide and all that, that is very high on the curriculum as well. And the absence of any um, positive family portrayals, really 48% of the texts deal with family, but 24% of those are all negative and dysfunctional. Um, you know, and it's very, there's a lot of gratuitous uh, violence and, you know, on the, on the other side. So, you know, if you've got a child su- um, suffering with mental health issues and then they come into the classroom and then they're studying a text all about someone committing suicide and how they did it and planning it. And it's not about survival or dealing with grief in the aftermath of death. It's all just gratuitously describing how these murders and suicides happen, etc. You know, so it's all very depressing and unedifying, really. It's not, you know, so I think those kind of texts are not helpful. It, 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 I know that if there's a video going around and we showed some of the extracts from here on, on a previous show about teenagers and what they are experiencing um, within lockdown and how they are feeling. And if they are feeling this and then they're going into the schools and, and being educated against this as well, it's crazy. I heard one story that parents, because of lockdown, parents had to sign a a form to say that they wouldn't be um, in the same room as the student when the teacher was educating them. And parents are going, hang on, wh- what are you trying to hide? You know, what what's going on here? If, you know, we're not allowed to interact, which we understand there's no interaction, but they still are allowed to observe. And that is the question. We have stopped observing. We have stopped observing. Mm-hmm. Teresa, anything, anything on that before your, you know, from your uh, past mm-hmm. previous life and what you're doing now? Uh, well, I work now as an occupational psychologist, and I'm, I'm trying to bring the worlds of education and business together. There's there's need for a synergy and for mutual appreciation of the of each endeavor because what goes through the education system ends up in the workplace, obviously. But uh, there's a real need for parents to call home their their responsibilities and their 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 role and take pride in it and from uh, uh, the top down we need to take the family and the beauty of the family unit to bring it back center stage it's it's uh, there are a lot of a lot of things that are no longer spoken about or no longer popular to speak about but we need to speak about the centrality of family for harmony in community, in society, in in our country and in the world at large. You know, so we need to call it all back home and reroute. That's it. I'm going to just wrap up on this. Um, I know there is parents out there who are speaking to other parents in the community about stuff that is going on in the schools. And these parents would say, oh, I would die for my children. But when the when when it came to doing anything to speak to the principals, the parents backed out because they were fearful of the repercussions. So yeah, on one end you say to people, Oh, I would die for my children. And on the other end, they won't do anything because of fear. And I say to those people out there, it's time to stand up and it's time to be brave. Because what you are doing has a major influence on what your children will be, who your children will be in the future. Subservient adults, stand up for your children's rights and stand up for your own rights as a sovereign person. 
because if you don't, nobody else will. And I will leave it. I will leave it at that. I will leave it at that. Yeah, Joe, I'm just sitting here in complete utter disbelief. (laughs) I I can't even believe we've had this chat, you know, and the work that I do, you know, with leaders and and with, you know, aspiring leaders and in businesses, I I often talk about, you know, the, the importance of liking yourself and others, respecting yourself and others and trusting yourself and others and the key ingredients in business and in life. And how can our children hope to be steered in that direction i mean I, I, honestly I, I if these things aren't banned by next monday the nation needs an explanation surely <laughs> yeah definitely definitely thank you ladies thank you for coming on the show keep us posted wendy we we want to know what's going on um let's see how we can we can assist you as well, assist thank, you. You as well. thank you thank and you and Teresa, thank you for coming on as well yeah.